the divine has a wonderful sense of humor and what we have witnessed now is one of the ways of the divine in real life we have the experience first and then we understand it and it's something very wonderful so also in yoga all this what we are going to speak about and share in a very summary way has been demonstrated to us on the surface there are the noises of the world like criss crossing currents noises that emanate from unseen sources just as we were witnessing now the noises of our thoughts and minds noises of our feelings our desires noises of our unfulfilled hopes and wishes and worse noises of our fulfilled hopes and wishes noises of our fears our strainings and strivings and so on and so forth and we are all living drowned and submerged in this world of noise even when there is nothing and nobody still there is this noise and often i contemplate as i like from an university now i think i know the ways though one can never be quite sure uh, so what really is the difference when we come to a place like this and you know it's so quiet and what is the difference between this and the ashram which is so much in the midst of active life and it has always struck me as something very significant to understand and take note of it's a very quiet place wonderful place for an university and there are many such quiet places in the world we have the of course the wonderful himalayas we have forests we have islands and yet at least to my experience and i am sure many would share it and those who haven't yet i would suggest sincerely to go and spend just a few minutes near the samadhi and see what real solid peace is it's right in the midst of the city there are mobiles the world of mobiles is right outside and all the possible jet age gadgets as if there is a whole zone which has been created for us sometimes we do not understand what madhuri shobindo have really done we are too busy too preoccupied either with what shobindo says our smallness our littleness our pettiness so beautifully he reminds us in savitri oh force compelled fate driven earth born race this is one description of us oh petty adventurers in an infinite world and then he reminds us how long shall you tread the circling tracks of mind around your little self and petty things 
So we are as if surrounded by this smallness. And even when we are in the midst of nature's vastness, it hits us, it strikes us, it's like a contrast. And yet there is a possibility this transient earthly being, if he so wills, can fit his acts into the transient, transcendent scheme. He who now stares at the world with ignorant eyes can fill these orbs with the spirit's light. This is our fate and our destiny bequeathed to us. And I feel that we are really living in incredible times. Maybe, you know, even to say that these are interesting times has lost its sense. Incredible times. Things which are unbelievable. On one side, a complete breakdown, almost like a whole civilization has been smashed. All that humanity cherished as its peak, its best, it's gone, gone, gone for good. Can't revive it. Its slain corpse is lying on the way. We can worship it. We can garland it. We can do many things with it, but we cannot revive it. It's gone. Slain by the almighty power of time. As we have that grand vision in the Gita. Kalosmi bhava. Lok shaykrit pravardho. I have come to destroy. It's very strange. The friend and lover of mankind is saying, I have risen to destroy. On one side we see this. And we can focus our attention on that. And feel miserable. Very often people speak about the big IS and the mini IS. The big IS is the Islamic State. <laughs> and the mini IS is little bit of that which is there in every bit of humanity. Something of that consciousness. And they feel miserable. But on the other hand, really this world today is teeming with possibilities. In the same world, while on one side, we have the IS destroying the best, the highest, the noblest, or even just the ordinary humanity. On the other hand, the world is waking up to the truth of yoga. It's so strange, just few days back, it was an amazing sight to see world over, in some way or the other. And I was reminded 100 years back, how Shurabindu wrote that Indian yoga is one of those things which are yet to find their place in the sum of the total totality of humanity's future. Something to that effect that, you know, he has foreseen 100 years back. And he has said that the integral yoga, yogi, yoga is coming out of the ascetics retreat, caves, and stepping into the common life of mankind. And give us a wonderful mantra. A mantra which the more we dwell upon it, the more it opens vistas of endless possibilities. And the mantra that he gave was a mantra that rings in the ear of humanity and the soul hears is all life is yoga. There is nothing which cannot be turned into a conscious yoga. Of course, all life is yoga 
has two meanings just as our life is led on two levels at least there are many levels but at least on two levels one is the surface life which is crowded with events and circumstances mostly trivial but to our consciousness they are big events ah i have graduated you know we put a nice little black hat on top <laughs> big event doesn't matter at all ah i have a nice job a degree in my pocket doesn't matter at all all these things which we regard as so so important to ourselves perhaps they don't matter even to the person next door very often i use this example um i ask children that look just tell me who are the people you love most and most children instinctively say their mother some will say father some will say somebody else their mother and i ask them do you know her qualifications <laughs> at least in the indian context most of we don't know really do you know where she studied no we don't know yet you love her so much the most beautiful things of life are not labeled or measured by these things they are measured by something else the real value of life is not in this surface running and joining of dots but in those gaps which we don't know how to fill and we try to run away from <laughs> to in various ways to escape from those gaps which are so beautiful moments pregnant with the silence of infinity so this is one part of life where outwardly we we take you know great pride in who we outwardly are and it's if one looks at it from the depths it's really grim we loathe over it and so beautifully a famous saint poet of india kabir has written he describes this aspect of the world and says in hindi then i'll translate jagat chabina kal ka kuch mukh mein hai kuch goth this world is hurtling towards death and destruction some of it is already in his mouth half our life has gone into it and some of it is sitting in his lap and we relish it ah so nice you know often i use this simply because this experience had struck me very uh, sometimes a small seemingly trivial scene can show you so so much reveal so much just as asmukai was speaking about a, a, a sentence and if casual passing phrase it can change your life sometimes one small little incident or a sight can change so i was driving my scooter and i saw that just by my side i was overtaking a man on a moped with a goat tied behind him this is incredible india by the way <laughs> so you won't see you won't see these things in any country and the reason why we see it in india because india is made for yoga so everything there will remind you of yoga if you are little little attentive so there is nothing like a comfort zone in india this of course as an aside 
you are denied a comfort zone precisely so that you can expand you have to all the time practice yoga by <laughs> either adjusting accommodating suppleness plasticity wideness equanimity it's going on all the time and of course sometimes grand revelations coming through a goat so i saw this goat tied behind and this driver was very smart he knew where the goat is being taken obviously to the slaughterhouse and he had given the goat something to eat and the goat was enjoying it and looking at that scene <laughs> the whole <laughs> this thing about kabir came back to my mind oh this is what he means jagat chavena kal ka kuch mukh mein kuch god this world is hurtling towards death and destruction some of it is already there this butcher already has half the goat in his mind he is eaten up he is already relishing what's going to happen and little bit that is left is only going to meet its last end this is one one way of life one way to look at life and if we go just a little deep we can see that how hollow it all is you know when mother was asked that you know tsunamis come so many people are destroyed and you know why does nature do is why why does god do this and the mother said what do you think you are said in this when we compare ourselves to the scale of nature's vastness we are nothing but little ants and this also i i have learned many interesting things sitting in the ashram we can learn once i saw two set of ants criss crossing each other and i was wondering oh this is their mahabharat very important for them world is going to crash for them today but for me it's just nothing but a play i was feeling pretty amused to see the way they were and perhaps a consciousness much vaster than the universe that's how it perceives all of our little quarrels and our big fights and our struggles and our all kinds of things that go on so this is one way one kind a surface life caught in a mechanical routine doesn't allow us even time to really breathe literally breathe we are not conscious even of our breath forget about other things we are only conscious of a little life it's a prison house and in that prison house we are very happy we find happiness of course <laughs> this is something unique but there is another life it runs behind the stream of this surface life gupta nadi you know there is there are some rivers which are secret they don't run on the surface and that's how i interpret the saraswati river there there was a time when river saraswati this indian civilization sprang up around the river saraswati originally you know that is the period when vedas came and vedas speak about this river saraswati of course there is an inner sense also to these things but you know this was a wonderful river mighty river vast river perhaps in all likelihood more sacred than the ganges i mean if you really read the hymns to saraswati which are dedicated in the vedas but then a time comes when saraswati vanishes from the surface life where does she go 
she doesn't disappear she is still running down below on the surface below the surface so we do have within us a lost saraswati reminding us of a lost life a lost civilization which is there running as an undercurrent and time to time it springs up we suddenly hear something and say ah this is what i was looking for we meet someone and here it is we hear a small phrase on the telephone and the day is made there is a flash an aha we see an image a face and give ourselves to her this is it she is the one so beautifully in savitri that's all that satyavan does lay all on her she is the cause of all these are the moments when we are truly alive moments when everything quickens to a new impulse moments when all the destruction seems to be nothing else but the birth pangs of a new world and while the old world is dying whether individually for us or for the masses of mankind we are rejoicing you know this is the difference we are rejoicing because we see a new baby is arriving that's how it is that you know the mother is crying with anguish on one side on the other side she is full of joy of expectation hope that there is something new which is to be born and this is the incredible part of the times we live in through all the anomalies of life very evidently something new is taking shape and time to time it surfaces its head visits us in lonely hours in dreams in thoughts we think that these thoughts just come casually and pass away asmo bhai was telling me to set the tone to this meeting but the tone has already been set we don't know how many times maybe as a child a flash came suddenly if only this world could be a better place that's it it came from somewhere else we didn't recognize it or a little later ah i wish that this scheme of things could change there could be little more compassion little more love authentic love little more light in this world and that's it or we stood with a sense of surrender and faith so this is the inner life which is running as a parallel stream hidden to our sight it needs nourishment and that's what is missing and that is the purpose of these retreats it's not a retreat into the way we understand retreat it's a strategic retreat maybe next time we should call it strategic integral yoga retreat <laughs> because it's a retreat to advance so that when we return upon life we don't just return with the same old person dealing with life in the same old way but we return not just even with renewed energy there are often yoga camps where people say ah i felt very energetic very good very nice but i am the same old person that is dangerous all kinds of practices which you know give us more energy but the same quality of energy it can be very very dangerous also it can aggrandize us it can fill us with more ego it happens there are practices of yoga which can paradoxically make us more egoistic than we are 
It's very simple. A monkey knows its place, but if a monkey has a nuclear bomb in his hand, he doesn't know his place anymore. He has a power with which he can devastate everything. So very often, yoga throws into our system. There are ways we understand yoga and one of them is very qualitative way to understand it. This exercise, that method, this practice. Ah, I feel very energetic. What do we do with this energy? We go back to the same old life. We aggrandize our ego further and further. So this is one, this is not that kind of retreat. This is not that understanding of yoga. But something else. The mother insists on qualitative change of consciousness. Because unless the consciousness changes, it nothing really changes. We are, whatever life we enjoy, we enjoy, it's not our surface being, but the consciousness enjoys. As is the consciousness, so is the world. This is one of the great sutras. If the consciousness is small, narrow, petty, full of obscure movements, then even if in the, we are in the midst of beautiful surroundings, you would still experience the touch of smallness in our life, the sting of sorrow, failure, defeat will haunt us day and night. But if our consciousness is vast, then even in a prison, we would see Vasudevam Sarvamiti. We see how Shirobindo, there is a beautiful aphorism of Shirobindo, where he says, I went to a holy place and got bored there. It's a very interesting aphorism. I went to a holy place and I got bored there in the company of holy men. Then God took me to a prison and turned it into his trysting ground. And the mother comments very beautifully that Shurabindu contrasts the ordinary life of humanity which is apparently free and yet it is so much crammed up and all the religious, moral, social dogmas in which we live. These are mother's comments. So many conceptions which we carry on, on our head. Not like a shielding hat. Yeah, it's a shielding hat. It shields us against the divine, of course. So we carry this burden on our head. And the life of real inner freedom, which we can experience even in the confines of a prison. Shrivindo had experienced it. So this is the real purpose of retreat. Is to discover that that vastness, that space and then carry it wherever we are. It's amazing. When we look at, you know, we talk about Shirobindo Ashram and of yes, the ashram is a wonderful place. But the first ashram of Shirobindo is in the prison itself where those who were around him, people who were, you know, condemned to death and how they would experience, they would experience a joy coming near him, a peace, a strength, a hope. It's amazing when Shivindu describes the life of that time. So it is this inner life which needs nourishment. And perhaps, hopefully, in any case, I would rather say definitely because it all depends on us. These days of retreat, every time we have it every year, can be moments when this inner life can be made specially active. When this thread we can catch hold and bring it out on the surface through the readings, 
wonderful readings of Savitri through talks, through question answers, but more importantly, through the pregnant silence which is generated at all such places. It is not just uh, a university campus, but a yagnaviti. It's a, it's a yagna. That is the spirit. And in a yagna, everybody brings his own bit. In, in India, this is a concept of yagna, and it's a very ancient concept, something very beautiful. It is the first idea of collective yoga. So in a yagna, there are some people who are priests, there are some people who are sponsoring like the kings who are you know giving space and everything for the yagna. There are others who are witnessing, some have come as seekers of knowledge, some has come as, have come as aspirants. But at the end of yagna, everybody receives something or the other according to one's own capacity. That's the beauty of actually creation, that's the beauty of life and that's the purpose of these meetings. That we come here bringing something or the other, maybe a little hope, an aspiration and sometimes that helps a lot more than anything that goes on. Very often people raise this question that we read Shurabindu but we don't understand. So I put a counter question, why do we read Shurabindu? And there comes the answer. When we read Shurabindu through the mind as a curious intellectual a la Bertrand Russell or Bonnet Shaw, let me understand, let me see what is this book, one more book, there are plenty of books in this world, one more book on yoga. We flip the pages, end up saying difficult English. Oh, he was Cambridge. Okay, fine. I understand. It's good English, but bit, you know, Latin, Latinized, archaic, difficult to understand. But when we read Shurabindo with a heart burning with a fire to know, to understand life better, how to live better, this is what Mother and Shurabindo teach us. It's so beautiful. And they have taught us not just through books, books came much later. But through the living example, when I look at Shurabindu's life, it's so amazing. Narada was just reading Savitri. And very and Shurabindu has spoken of Savitri as the his most important work. Now what does an author do with his most important work? Supposing we were to write anything, just a book, and leave aside most important. Just we know that we have written something. We are looking for publishers to publish it. Shovindu wrote his most important work and did not see it fully published in his own lifetime despite having the resources and his own ashram. What is this life? His life is such a wonderful living example. Half of it was published just before Shabindu's withdrawal and half of it is published in 1951 later. He's not even waiting for that. Look, I have done such a wonderful work. Maybe it will get very good reviews. People will talk about it that finally here is a work. Nothing of that sort. And the mother says so, you know, so beautifully that he simply knew that he had to withdraw to help the coming of the supramental consciousness and one word from above and the decision was taken. 
He did not look back, did not think twice. The same thing we see in Shurabindu's life in the very beginning. From beginning to end, a series of... He has taught us by his living example what is true renunciation. There is so much confusion when we talk about yoga, we immediately think of renunciation. And we make such an ostentatious show of renunciation. Wearing a single colored cloth, for example. Having a shaven head, for example. Living in a secluded place, for example. This is not renunciation. Even sometimes there is there are Shobha Yatras of renunciation. You know, recently there was a very interesting news item on Indian television. I don't know whether people have witnessed it or not. But it was very, very interesting. And the, uh, the news item was titled as Thousand uh, Crores Renunciation. Believe me, it was amazing to just watch it. <laughs> Amusing rather. So there is this man who you know, has a, you know, maybe lakhs, crores, umpire, big business. And he decided to renounce his life. So what he did was, he, his renunciation was arranged in a huge ship-like place was made. Huge place, which was designed like a ship. And there were some 108 rooms, some so many priests were called. Crores and crores of rupees were spent in the whole arrangement. Television crews were present and they were asking him, so how do you feel? That's what they always ask. And then he talks about renunciation. It was, it was a very interesting sight, so to say. That's not renunciation. That's coming into limelight. He exchanged thousand crores rupees for suddenly catching, grabbing some limelight. <laughs> I mean, at least many persons I'm sure didn't know about the man till, you know, his renunciate self popped up on the television screens. But from Shirobindo we learn what really renunciation is. He is working in a field where it seems everybody depends upon him. You see, this is one example of how we get caught up in life. Duties, responsibility, oh I have to do this, I have to do that. As if the whole world existed by us, for us. And if we were to withdraw, well it will collapse. Such an illusion we live in. Someone has rightly said, you put your hand in water and take it out and see how much space is left. That's, that's our you know, degree of self-importance. <clears throat> And Shurabindu, who is uh, literally the mastermind, the, the whole British Empire speaks about him as the most dangerous man in India, who is silent, silently creating the revolution. And people are looking up to him, worshipping him, revering him. He's already made name like a yogi. Shurabindu in the pre-Pondicherry days itself is uh, something remarkable. People used to seek his advice because he was already regarded as a great yogi at that point of time. And just one command and there he goes. This is renunciation. Without looking back, no second thoughts. People are requesting him, asking him, please come, we need your leading. 
so many ways his you know he's being called and pulled nothing doing he's offered a land in alaska with money to make a huge ashram there or in any other place of his choice under the french government and he says no i am not going to budge an inch from here this is renunciation at every step we see that life i mean we carry we often people in 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 life like all of us you know we have this question oh but how to really lead this life of yoga we are so much caught up in our life it's not true it's not true at all there is something which we are not looking at clearly it's an insincere look at ourselves if we are really fired by yoga by the spirit of yoga nothing will count and that's what really brings the result so it's much better to say that well at this point i am preparing myself for yoga instead of saying i want to really practice it and i am caught up it doesn't work like that yeah we have a preparation it's a long preparation it's wonderful to know that so when we look at it just as it is then we are likely to change things otherwise we wait for circumstances to change situations to change events to change and we continue being caught up one event to another and sometimes we end up making things more and more complicated you know we have the story of a man who wanted to another man who renounced life and walked with one loin cloth and when he was taking a bath he had to leave his loin cloth on this you know on the shore so that it doesn't get wet and a rat eats it away so he says now what do i do with this rat meanness and somebody tells him look buy a cat <laughs> so he gets a cat but the cat needs milk so he gets a cow and the cow needs fodder so it tills the land and the land needs to be looked after so he gets married and then all for the sake of one loin cloth <laughs> this is not yoga this is something else whatever name we give it to it real yoga is not at all nothing to do with this say fire it burns it doesn't matter where we are what we are doing it's that inner life it begins to assert itself more and more not just few moments popping up on the surface and then retreating it scorches the ego it melts down resistances breaks the obstacle because it's a fire which grows and grows and grows all yoga is about tending this fire it's a, it's the most sacred gift to man that's the whole story that prometheus was punished for bringing the fire we say even physically the most interesting discovery that man has made is not steve jobs apple not even newton's apple not even adam's apple or any apple but the fire it changed man's life on earth physically it is so true it's only after fire came by rubbing of stones that things began to change 
he discovered literally a new source of energy amazing source of energy if you really look at those days when maybe a caveman rubbed and discovered fire what it would have meant tremendous change in his life but there is also another fire which man discovered while he was a caveman and that is the inner fire and that not only changed his life but continues to change his life and will continue to change his life that's what yoga is about when mother was asked tell us something about yoga she said why do you want to do yoga this is the question and then he says that there is a fire that burns inside us in the depths of our heart and we have to tend this fire we have to feed this fire allow it to burn blaze till it consumes every bit of our being nothing remains except that for which our lives are made so this is the great journey on which we all have embarked god knows since when a journey where the end is certain and there is only one end of this journey and shobindra has beautifully said this in savitri whoever has any doubts how shall the end be vain when god is guide his failure is not failure whom god leads another place through all the adamantine march goes on so this is the journey and its end is certain satyameva jayate namritam this has been declared when arjuna asks krishna what happens to those who are practicing yoga but not really able to practice it well in this life are they lost and shri krishna assures none who has practiced this yoga even a little ever goes to perdition however much he may seem to you know fall or fail but there is something which keeps pushing and yet if you want to make the most of of this life which is given to us this opportunity then it should be pursued as not just one of the aims but the aim that's what makes the fire grow in the beginning yoga is one of the things that we do among many other things that we do there are many things which are far more important and there are few seconds of yoga but slowly the yoga grows and begins to get into conflict with all other things and then we have to make a tough balancing act and we have then only one of the two choices either to discard things which are we are carrying as a payload you know when engines go into outer space this movie we saw interstellar and there are many such movies and it's a fact at every stage you have to discard you know one of the engines either that or it has to be purified burnt with the same fire and if it's capable of bearing the power the, the purification it is uplifted if not it tends to create a kind of conflict and at the end there is nothing but whole life becomes a worship a prayer a ceaseless burning of the blazing tongue of sacrifice of the fire of aspiration so we shall pause here and let the fire of aspiration burn 
with Narada's own choir. So we all bring our little flame into it. And then we meet tomorrow. <clears throat>